97% of global wealth was created in the last 250 years. So that means in 0.01% of human history, we have basically created all of the wealth. Why? It is not because people suddenly became smarter. It is because... People often reject to believe what they don't understand or what scares them. With Dragonfolio China, you have the unique chance to truly understand a frequently misconceived country and an inevitable shift in the 21st century. Just lean back and enjoy a fascinating journey through China that will astonish and reward you. Niemann how guys and welcome to the next episode of the Dragonfolio China podcast. My name is Eric and today I want to talk about communism in China or maybe not so much because the question is obviously how much communism is really present and existent in China in the 21st century. China is often called a communist country or they are referred to as the communists. It's almost a swear word like they are a bunch of communists worshipping money. The funny thing is though that when I discuss communism with people in general, socialism as a topic, I realized that around 80% don't know what communism actually is. They think it has something to do with dictatorship and surveillance state and they are not really sure actually what it is. And this is partly absolute nonsense. A lot of people just simply don't know what communism really means. And that is fine. But if you don't know it, it doesn't make sense to make these kind of bold statements about other countries and to shape an opinion based on something that you don't really understand. And this is why I want to give, first of all, a proper definition about communism today, my own definition to explain what it actually really means. And a lot of people, I guess, will understand the whole system a bit better. And secondly, I want to determine, based on this definition and based on what we have today in China, whether this really means that China is a communist country, has a communist system today, or whether maybe China is more capitalist than we are in the West right now. So that's the big question that I'm going to answer today. First of all, a short update about my own sort of life, however, and I'm recording this podcast from one of the main hubs in Southeast Asia, namely Bangkok. And if I try to link that with China, it's not so difficult because Thailand is the country with the most overseas Chinese in the entire world. Many people would naturally assume that it might be the US, the UK, Canada, where you have large overseas communities of Chinese. But at the end, it is Thailand. I previously assumed it's Malaysia. I was surprised as well. But in Thailand, there are around 10 million overseas Chinese. And that means around 14% of the entire population in Thailand are ethnically Chinese. Most of them in second or third generation. 
And like in many places, Chinese here, they run a lot of businesses. They are responsible for commercial and industrial activities. My landlord, for example, she's Chinese. I, I cannot tell. She's fluent in Thai. She does not even look typical Chinese. But, well, the name of the account tells me that she is definitely not uh, Thai. And, I mean, at least not from, from her ancestors. And it's interesting because compared to Malaysia, where you also have a lot of Chinese, I would say that the Chinese people here are a bit more, let's say, localized, a bit more aligned. They, uh, I also heard they often speak Thai at home, whereas in Malaysia, a lot of overseas Chinese will still speak Mandarin. I also think that they get along fairly well here. I mean, generally, Thailand has more tolerance for foreigners. And I think that here you have less racial segregation as opposed to a country like Malaysia. And that Chinese live more the Thai lifestyle um, despite their um, heritage. And for me, of course, life is good here. I uh, was happy to return to Asia after two years. I mean, I was, uh, yeah, as some of you guys know, I was uh, not able to return to China. I was just back for a Christmas break two years ago. Um, and interestingly, the last port in Asia that I've been to was also Bangkok on my way back from China. And that was now the first destination where I was uh, allowed to return. And so I'm staying in Thailand for a while. Life is absolutely great here. I feel already, um, yeah, the, the closer distance to China and it's just, uh, yeah, good lifestyle here. I can finally avoid the cold winter in Europe and have still a lot of time to pursue my goals here to do my stuff. And so I can absolutely not complain. I'm happy that finally there are more options again for traveling and also for choosing your destination of living. And so with that, let's start with the actual topic. And I will first give a definition and a little bit of history about communism. You can approach it from different angles, what communism really is. There's on one hand a more political and social layer, and on the other hand, a more economic part. And I try to refer more to the economic part because I find it more interesting and relevant. But at the end, what communism really means is they try to establish a classless system. Everyone should be equal. Everyone owns everything. Or, well, in fact, it's more like nobody owns anything. But in, in, in theory, they want that everyone owns everything. So the idea is that everything is owned by the community and there's no private property. And they want to establish that because that is supposedly fair. Shamefully, one of my fellow citizens was the founder of communism, that is Karl Marx. He wrote this communism manifest, which is the base for the whole theory. And one of his students, Engels, was also a person who further developed this one. Interesting is that their theory has never been tested in the real world until after their death. And first time really largely applied was in Russia with Lenin and the Leninism, which was based on Marxism partly. And then later in China with Mao. 
So he also derived a lot of his theory from the Marxism and Leninism. And in both cases, Russia and China, it had devastating consequences. So Mao tried to establish the communism and Marxism between roughly 1950 to 1980. And actually, this whole attempt is one of the best pieces of evidence for the failure of communism of all times. Between 1958 and 1962, approximately 40 million people died, and almost all of them starved because of this attempt. Some were murdered, and of course the numbers are, you find different numbers, they start at around 30 million, some say it was 60 million, but I mean, I guess you get the point here. It was absolutely horrific, and what they basically did is that they wanted to establish communism and at the same time they wanted to increase the steel output because that means they would be a more advanced country they would be military more advanced and this whole idea was a disaster 40 percent of the steel was unusable they totally neglected for example agriculture so the peasants were forced to melt their tools to produce more steel or they were forced to neglect their crop and everything in order to work in factories. And also the whole make everyone equal thing, of course, did not really work. There was no innovation. There was absolutely no improvement in life, in, in technology and everything. Mao was aware that he would have to sacrifice some, some people to bring the country forward. He called, they called it the big leap forward. Um, but I'm sure he did not want to sacrifice so many people. In fact, I believe that Mao was a better guy than many people would think. But the problem is he was very ignorant about the economic impact of his ideas. The issue actually is that there is no successful attempt to establish communism anywhere in the world. There's no successful attempt. I read a lot about this. You can go from Russia to China to the DDR in Germany to Latin American attempts in Scandinavia, in Africa. There is no successful attempt ever recorded. So it's partly surprising that especially Western countries, socialism seems to be more popular than ever. But people are like, when socialism fails, then there must be a better way. Mm. It can be done better. It's not a system. It's just not properly implemented and stuff. By the way, when I refer to socialism, it is, I say it's a weaker form of communism. It's not exactly the same. I use it sometimes as a synonym, but it's not exactly the same. It's a milder version of communism. It's not that extreme. But I mean, you, you maybe get what I, what I'm pointing here at. It means that it's absolutely a, a failure, communism and socialism. But nevertheless, in many countries, if you're against socialism, you are discriminated. It's like, oh, you're, you're an evil capitalist instead of seeing that, yeah, in many places, it's just better for everyone or it, in all places, actually. But back to China. So we see that communism, they failed. But why are we still calling them communism or how much communism is now in China. 
we have to understand that China is ruled by one party, and that's the Communist Party of China. So they simply kept the name that was given to the party when they were when it was founded in the Mao era. And today you still have 88 million citizens in China who belong to this party, and that's 6.5% of the population. But the CCP is not just a bunch of communists or something. It is an elite orger that selects members from the Chinese society, one of the smartest people who work there. Of course, I would agree that they have this kind of attitude, community first, but not just communism over everything. Communism was mainly abolished when Deng Xiaoping succeeded Mao and when he started to send a delegation to the world, he was traveling to capitalist countries around 1980, 1978 was the exact year, and then he saw how do countries prosper. And he became aware that all these socialist achievements are a lie. They don't exist. And when he came back to China, he tried to apply a lot of the private market economy and capitalism to China. The most successful attempt by far is Shenzhen. So Shenzhen was a role model for this whole transformation and they were given a lot of economic freedom. They developed the city in a similar way to some Western countries. And guess what? Shenzhen, until today, is the city with the highest income per capita. You think that's a coincidence? Shenzhen enjoys the highest freedom. They have the less, the least, let's say, socialist influence. And they are the richest city in China. And also the poverty is extremely low. It's not like some, some dudes got super rich and the rest stays poor. No. Normally, the water raises all the boats. And that's also what happens in Shenzhen. Marxism is still officially kind of advocated and it's in theory definitely still existent. And of course, also the planned economy was never really abolished. Maybe I should add this, that communism often happens, especially from the Russian system in Soviet. You have this like five-year plans. You had the same in, I think, the DDR, the German um Democratic Republic, where you have a more, yeah, planned system, you, because it's very much focused on output and on these kind of goals. That's very a typical, a, a typical characteristic of the system. And China, for example, still has this until today, right? They have these five year plans. So they were never abolished. But this alone does not mean that you have really hard communism. So if you ask me, China is not really a communist regime with a just centrally directed plan. China has a lot of entrepreneurs nowadays who are very free. And despite some monopolistic and authoritarian political regime, it is not really capitalism versus communism, I would say. But it's more like a government-steered capitalism 
with a socialist character. That's what I that's how I would define it at the end. Yeah. So this is not the communism that some people think of when we think about the Soviet Union or about the Mao era. Yeah. You have to understand that China nowadays has a lot of things that are more capitalist than, for example, in Europe. When I compare it to a country like Germany, which I can very well judge, then I know that China does not have all these welfare things. They don't tax their people as high as in Germany. Germany is certainly more socialist than China in some sense. But this whole community thinking is still very strong in China. And of course, the the party tries to have this still around because it's in the name of their party, but this alone does not mean they are, um, let's say, too strict about the original ideas in terms of uh, Marx and so on. Recently, there have been some changes, and some people claim that communism is returning to China. You might have heard about this, especially this year. There are new regulations, sanctions against big companies. There were a lot of actions taken with a more socialist touch. And here we have to distinguish a bit. So what China is trying to do is they try to kind of clean up and adjust an excessive income distribution. So in China nowadays, of course, you have a huge gap between rich and poor, which at the end made everyone richer. Again, that's capitalism. But of course, China by any means want to avoid severe inequality because that could threaten the social order. It could threaten at the end the rule of the Communist Party. So in parts, they try to go back to a more equal world. Because the party fears the concentration of money or social power. If it's just in the hands of a small group, companies, entrepreneurs, and so on, that might actually be a certain threat. The term that is often used here is shared prosperity. So Chinese leaders, they try to distribute the fruits of the past decades more fairly. Makes sense to some degree, right? Because one of the most successful developments is if you use capitalism to get rich and then you can apply certain social allocation models. Like, for example, Germany is a social, used to be a social market economy. Today, Germany is also more socialist, but it used to be like this. So they say, we want to be a fair and social country, so let's reallocate some money so that we can ensure stability and we can ensure that people have proper living conditions everywhere. But you must be careful because if you do this too fast, or too extreme, what's going to happen is that you lose growth because people are going to invest less. If you take away money from the, from, from the rich, they will leave the country. And overall, you have to understand that a lot of these rich people, they run the companies. They are responsible for the development of the economy and just taking money and giving it to others who cannot actually handle the money well will not deliver any benefit to the country. So they must be very careful. And this is what China actually does and is backed up by statistics. If you see the tax to GDP ratio 
from 1996 to 2012. It actually has gone up for the whole time. So it means that you pay more tax compared to the GDP. So actually the richer were taxed more if you want so. But since 2012, which was roughly the time where she got into power, it was stagnating. So it means actually it's not really happening, for example, in terms of tax. That's already important to understand. And when you look at a lot of other things that happened this year, which were so big in the media, it was like, well, for example, Tencent and Alibaba had to pay some few million Chinese yuan funds for charity programs. They try to also restrict real estate speculation, which is makes also sense because the whole stability of the economy is pretty much dependent on real estate. So this is not just about taking the money from, from the rich. And that is important to understand. A lot of regulations right now are not just to establish communism or socialism. They have There are a lot of other motivations for that. They want to have regulations in place that make help China to go the next step. That's important to understand. And if they really want to establish a social market economy like it used to be in Germany, they actually need a lot of further structural changes. They need to shift more income from uh, the government to businesses and consumers, from the upper class to the working class. But it's it's a slow process, just that this year a lot of things were announced and this was um, related to also some some political events that happened, COVID also delayed a few things. And China is well aware that if they do all of this too fast, it will rather destabilize the country. So it's interesting to see what exactly is going to happen. But for now, let's say that China is also a bit experimenting. They want to see how can we now, based on our successful capitalist decades, how can we now establish a more social and a fairer system again for our our citizens. One thing is very important to understand, and that's what many people are also not aware of. 97% of wealth, global wealth, was created in the last... 250 years. So that means in 0.01% of human history, we have basically created all of the wealth. Why? It is not because people suddenly became smarter. It is because of the capitalist system. We live in a better world than ever. Yes, we have more richer people than ever. No, I'm not arguing with that. But we also have less poverty than ever globally and in places like China. Communism and socialism is a pure theory. It is totally against our nature. This is why it cannot be really successful. Because we are not all equal. We are different. And if you just let people go their natural way, then most people are going to reach for their maximum based on their conditions some make it some don't make it it's about skills it's about luck and sorry to say but life is not fair 
You can make it a bit fairer and social. That's fine. By mainly, that's mainly tax. Say the richer have to pay more tax. They have a higher responsibility. That's also the theory that they would consume more of the infrastructure. They get more from the society. They have to pay more tax. Fine. And you also can say, hey, we don't want to, we don't want our own citizens to starve if they have serious issues. Let's make sure that they can make their living. Let's make sure that all of our citizens have a decent life in the country. That is fair. But to take the whole money, the whole amount of money and give everyone the same amount, that's nonsense. If you make everyone equal, you make everyone poor. And China learned its lesson. China learned that this does not work. There are some theories that Chinese in the long term really want to go back to a extreme communism. So the idea is that they say, hey, we first have to establish capitalism in order to have communism later. I hope you get that this is extremely paradox and ironic at best to say, hey, the better system helps us to get to the worst system, but we want to, we want to stick with, with the shit. We don't want to have the good one, but let's, let's, let's use it to get there so we can actually enhance the, the fail, failed system. But I'm not really seeing this happening and First of all, we have to understand that the Chinese leaders nowadays are extremely educated and smart. And the ideology of communism cannot actually outweigh their economic intelligence. The Mao era is gone. And as important as he is as the founder of this party, the Chinese leaders are aware that they have to go new ways. So I don't think that they will really return to a communism as we have seen it in the past, at least from a current standpoint and from, from observing what happens right now. If you see who is in charge in China, I don't see this happening. Another point is that China often has different definitions. That's also important to understand. It's the same with democracy. China even often claims they have democracy as well. They say, yeah, the, our people rule as well. The, the, the party is elected at the end indirectly by our people and supported by the people. We have democracy too. And no one in the West would basically agree with that. My point here is that there are different definitions of certain terms. There is no absolute, uh, let's say, correct definition. It depends on how you interpret it and the same applies to the term of communism so maybe the final version of Chinese communism is very different from let's say the initial thoughts of Mr. Marx that's that's another thing that we need to consider when we talk about communism and see extremely negative it might be different from the Chinese one which is maybe a more social order yeah so um finally my my thoughts are really that china must continue on its way and use the logic of the market that's what it did for the last decades that is what made them so successful 
and it's so important today. This one everyone is blaming them. This one everyone is, or a lot of people are jealous. A lot of people fear China. That is because they used a very successful economic model in the past years and why they prospered so much. And if they continue this way, more or less, of course, you need to make adjustments if you reach new levels and you want to get to the next stage in, in your development, you need to make adjustments. But if they generally keep this system, then I think they're unstoppable on their rise and will have a very, very uh, bright future. At the end of this episode, I want to end up with one of my favorite quotes. It's from the, it's from a book that was written by the uh, personal physician of Mao. And he was forced to go to the countryside to work like many, many um, intellectuals were forced to go to the countryside to work there for experience and so on. That was also part of the whole communism thing. And one day this doctor, he was chatting up with a peasant in some village. The doctor is still wearing a very nice jacket and the peasant kind of touched his, his jacket and say, wow, if only I could have an overcoat like this, then I would know that communism had arrived. I hope you also get the point here. Essentially what he's saying is that communism is nothing but unfulfilled hope. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Folio China podcast. As you've kept listening until now, I assume you enjoyed the show and would appreciate a five-star rating on your podcast app, which allows other folks to learn about this important topic as well. For more fascinating insights into China and for easy ways to benefit, make sure to visit the website at dragonfolio.net.